electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer at the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber is at the 13D Monitor Active Passive Investor Summit in New York City. A lot more on that in just a moment. Meantime, bulls trying to go for seconds here after that 20 to 1 up day yesterday. Dow futures up 650, even though yields have not budged materially. Two years still above 4.4. Fed speak returns today. Our roadmap begins with stocks in rally mode. Futures point to sharp gains on optimism on earnings, calmer conditions in bond markets. Goldman beats, but David Solomon on Squawk warning of recession risks ahead. And activist investor Starboard revealing a stake in Salesforce says it sees significant opportunity. David's got that scoop for us this morning. Let's begin with David at 13D. A lot going on today, Deep. Yeah, uh, you know, as you, uh, of course, we brought uh, earlier Salesforce. I think Jeff Smith is actually presenting right now. We're just going to go with the 13D Monitor Conference. That's where we are. Forget this active-passive stuff. It's just too much to say all at one time. Uh, but uh, Smith's on the stage. Uh, you know, we talked Splunk yesterday, guys. Uh, we gave you the uh, preview of what he's going to be saying about Salesforce, which I, I assume is in process, if not has already concluded at this point. Really focused there on margins. Uh, and um, we're going to have an opportunity to sit down with him and discuss in a, a lot greater detail, Carl, uh, the thoughts on Salesforce. No, not a typical target, so to speak, for uh, for for a starboard, given its enormous size. Um, but again, Jim focused on an opportunity they see in terms of margin improvement, even though for its part, you know, the company's already saying they've set what they say are ambitious targets uh, for the future, including 50 billion in revenue by fiscal year 26 uh, and 25 uh, percent operating margins by that year as well. I think it's interesting, David, that they immediately come out and say they've got 13 highly qualified directors. Uh, Oscar Munoz just joined Laura Albert from Williams-Sonoma. Uh, Robin Washington, lead the director from Gilead. I mean, it seems like that they're basically ready. I understand, as you do, that the discussions are constructive, but they have constructive discussions yes. with everybody. But, David, what I think is interesting is that there's just an instant reaction that there's too much fat at Salesforce. Uh, that Mark's maybe, uh, you know, he, he hires whoever he wants to hire. They got the new building, whatever. I actually think that Brett Taylor and Mark together make it so that they've got a very disciplined operation. They have the best quarter of any enterprise software company that I follow. The best. There's about a half dozen companies in enterprise software I would go after before them, unless you tell me that this is not a go after, that this is literally a, a case where they're thinking they can add some expertise and they want very much to work with Brett and with Mark. You know, my sense is it is more that, Jim, than, than not. Uh, but, of course, there is always that possibility, however unlikely, that it, it does get a little more uh, adversarial. But my sense is that's not the way they want to go, and especially given the size of this. Even though, you know, Starboard is saying it is a significant and large position in a market cap of this type, it's still not going to add up to a large percentage position. Now, by the way, that's 
The world of activism, as we've said for many years now, is not relying any longer on having a filing position of any kind. If you have influence and a track record, as a star board does, it can still obviously result in what you're looking at right there. But, Jim, my sense is it is more of, as you described, it's sort of just trying to get them to to uh, to improve on margins, get at least back to the level of many of their peers. I mean, you know, it's funny, having not looked at it in a while, but recently now having looked at it, Jim, the the stock has underperformed, uh, you know, over a period of time now, unexpectedly perhaps, especially given what had been outperformance not that long ago. Right, well, it was that Dow Jones was flying. Uh, I do believe, remember, enterprise software has been in in just a, a hideous bear market. Mark did make the numbers. He came on the last, Mark Benya, uh, so did make the numbers last time. Now, David, I, I think that you could look at this company like any of the software companies, like Adobe, and just say, you know what? You haven't had your layoffs. I mean, Microsoft's had your layoff. Microsoft's had a lot of layoffs. You mean to tell me that you're lean? I mean, could Mark, could his company be leaner? I would say that uh, every company that's been in enterprise software has benefited from a tremendous bull market. That bull market is over. And I sure, I sure think that if, if Satya is making cutbacks in Microsoft, everybody can make cutbacks. You know my thesis on where the bear market is, David, and where the layoffs have to be. It's in Silicon Valley. Uh, I want to hear more from Mark or right. from Brett. Uh, but again, I'm not getting the vibe that, that there's any sort of animosity here. No, you know, and I, I think we'd have to wait and see over time as to whether that will take place. Uh, it o- is always at least in the p- potential offing when you're dealing with a firm like this uh, in, uh, in Starboard, but not necessarily part of the current playbook, as you say. That said, Jim, but listen, David, and we want to move on. We've got so much Box. else to get to. But David Box. What about it? That was contest. That became contested. Yeah. And everybody yeah, made money. Oh, listen, we know they're willing to fight. This is a big company, though. Uh, but it's got a board like everybody else's if there's frustration on the part of some shareholders. And by the way, I'm aware of another activist that, um, you know, that may have considered it. This is not necessarily something that has that people have missed entirely. Look, I'm looking at a, at a slide here, you know, not generated meaningful operating leverage relative to peers. I mean, you look at their operating margins in 2017 or where they are now. They haven't gone up nearly as much as Microsoft's or Adobe's or Intuit's or SAP's or Oracle's or even Workday's, Jim. Well, I'm not sure SCP and Oracle's right on that one. Uh, I, I'm not. I, but I would tell you this, David. They have $40 billion in cash. They're doing just in, you know, we're talking about performance obligations. The, the, the buyback was something new. Uh, they have had growth that has exceeded everybody in their particular space. But uh, I mean, just go to conference. But I, I do think that uh, you can do a lot worse than what they've done. And I, I know that's damning with faint praise, but uh, I think this is a very good quarter. Uh, and, well, let's just say, I guess everybody, uh, I'm not calling for Mulligan here. They don't need that. I think that they've made a lot of money for people. Well, and this has just been a lull in the whole group. Yeah. How about uh, today's action, Jim? Is this the beginning of something new? Well, uh, look, you know what? There's, I've gone over what Mike Wilson said yesterday. Nine ways to Sunday. And what he really did nail was the level of negativity of the hedge funds. Uh, and what, what people are saying is, is that this is indeed the worst five-year stretch, the least amount of money that is in the market, uh, the, most, the highest revulsion to the market. So I think Wilson timed it so perfectly. Uh, and he wasn't gaming it, but there were many people I talked to yesterday who said, 
I cannot believe he used the 200-week moving average. But there's a lot of closet performers in the hedge fund business who recognize, well, wait a second, maybe 3,200 is the bottom. I spoke to a guy who was saying, look, 3,200, yeah, take it to 4,000. Just play that range. And he's a very good guy. He swings around billions. And uh, a lot of what I heard was everybody's so negative. Everybody's so negative. Uh, the beginning of earnings period tends to have some very good companies. The fact that, that Wilson did not identify the banking leadership is interesting. What David just said, software, enterprise software is, is, and semis are the two great bear markets right now. And if we can get any, any traction in those, you could have some lift. At the same time, look, there's part, half of this market is in a bear market, the fangs of the world. And half of it's in a bull market. I listened to David Solomon this morning. I know we're going to get a clip. Goldman Sachs at seven times earnings is just wrong. It's just wrong. I mean, it, it doesn't belong there. I mean, the tangible, you know, the book value is at 300. I thought David made a very good case to own it. Very good case. And then you have J&J. I mean, it's only up one, three quarters. Give me a break. I mean, there's a fantastic quarter. Yep. Every single line item is better. But the companies at the beginning, Carl, are good ones. Uh, yeah, Goldman's going to open up almost 4% on top of yesterday's action. So, uh, Solomon was on Squawk Box, talked about uh, the need to be cautious, the good chance of a recession, but also the way in which Goldman's clients are using it to re-strategize in what is clearly an economy where the world has changed. Here's what he said. I think it's a time to be cautious. Um, and I think that if you're running a risk-based business, it's a time to... Um, it's a time to think more cautiously about your risk box, your risk appetite. I think you have to expect that there's more volatility on the horizon. Now, that doesn't mean for sure that we have a really difficult right. economic scenario. But in the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance we could have a recession. State Street's going to follow along today, Jim, uh, on NII growth, billion-dollar buyback. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I th- State Street's pretty consistent revenue stream. I thought it was very interesting with that clip is that what he's basically saying is that's not us. We're not like that anymore. Uh, they have separated this fintech business, which I don't really care for, but they can do something a lot. They're, they're dramatically expanding their business with Apple. That's consistent revenue. They spent a lot of money getting up uh, or to do this direct-to-consumer. Now they're merging it with, with the rest of the business. David, I got to tell you, when I listen to Goldman, what they're saying is we are no longer episodic. Now, David, they've said that before. Right. I actually yes, think have. that they meant it this time. Well, we talked about it yesterday. That's what they want you to believe, and, and they may believe it. it but uh, book value went up to $308.22. So uh, it is finally going to exceed book value for the first time in a while, Jim. But that's not saying much, is it? Now, obviously, you and I can go oh, back to periods th- where t- some of these things traded at two, even three times book, which was absurd. But... Uh, you know, this has been a consistent frustration for them, the fact that they have typically traded at a discount to book. Which is shocking. I mean, I remember it used to be the highest multiple in the group. I, I will say this, David. The level of desperation of the banks to be able to get some valuation is the highest I've ever seen, and it's working. Uh, uh, yesterday, Bank of America, I know you, we, had to, uh, we jousted on Bank of America, but uh, Moynihan did have a great quarter. Uh, With Sharf... Scharf is just printing money at Wells Fargo. J.P. Morgan, again, fought itself. They've got that, you know, they've got the Hamlet thing going. Jamie's got to get out. He's the Hamlet hurricane. But the banking group, David, is the low multiple group with the best earnings profile because of what the Fed's done. 
And the group that's not working, thank heavens, are the 200 times sales groups that has been that has just plagued our market. And then Fang, the ones the Fang dropping by the wayside, the ones that are too expensive. But David, you know what's interesting about this moment? People are still sticking by Apple. And like Tony Saganetti puts out another one of his pieces. They listen, they're, they're going to offer guide rail uh, guidance. But what I'm saying is that tech is awful, and these lower multiple stocks are great. And I love that. I love that. There's a look at Netflix uh, coming up tonight. Yeah. Journal's got a piece like about the company trying to get people to revisit with more frequency, Jim, something they were reportedly worried about earlier in the year. This is what everybody is after. What do you think they're after at Meta? They want more visiting. Nobody, no one can figure out where these people went. Now, I can tell you where they went. They were cooped up in their houses. There was a thing called COVID. You got this vaccine. Then you got the second and then the third and the fourth. And now you're going and you're still this, traveling. You see this journal story about restaurants where the reservation list is a thousand people long. Oh, no, I, I'm in one where it just is it basically was a call. And I said, hi. And it's just like, don't bother. Don't bother. I mean, how about, can I give them my name? But they want a couple of Michelin stars. You know, you want a Michelin stars. Right. Hey, you know. Well, and, and sort of on that of note, you got uh, Brian Cornell at the Yahoo event yesterday talking about a consumer that remains healthy in stores and online. Jeff Reese today upgrades. Uh, That's a nice piece. Uh, Nordstrom reiterating the guide today. Yeah, and everything we heard from Bank of America was basically, look, uh, a little lo- lower in spending, but we're doing okay. I, I know this is... It, no one ever wants to hear this, but you know, what happens if J-Pal's actually doing it right? Now, food's hard. Tomatoes double because of this hurricane. Tomatoes. I mean, tomatoes where you were getting these great Mexican tomatoes. Uh, there's a lot of things. These, these hurricanes and the lack of uh, fertilizer is going to make it so that Jay cannot do anything. So we had a piece yesterday about the food things that are down, but my channel check said that it's really only chicken. Chicken yeah. coming down. Uh, yeah, buffalo wings. Yeah. Um, I went to Friday's. Went to Fridays and Friday night. Did my the, wife loves Friday? No, she hated. Great. She hated. But I got to tell you, I got out of there, uh, no liquor, on two schooners, uh, for twenty-seven bucks for a fantastic meal. So I'm sorry. There's still, I like Fridays. My wife was highly uh, suspicious of my liking of Fridays, but. She said, oh, you think you're a man of the people? I said, no, I've been going to Fridays all my life. Give me a break. (laughs) I'm old enough to remember TGI Fridays. Yeah, TGI Fridays. Do you think David knows Friday? He doesn't know. He goes to Thursdays. I know Fridays. (laughs) You went to the originalists when you were out, you know, in the the 60s, when you were in 70s, on 3rd Avenue. No, that's when when I went to Red Lobster. When you were looking for some action. That's when you remember Fridays from, yeah. Jim didn't need to really look. It kind of came to him. It was David. It was getting line. It was like those restaurants, the Michelin restaurants. Restaurants. No, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, you and Joe so Namath, you guys were making the scene at Fridays. <laughs> 1973. Broadway Jim. <laughs> um, I guess we got, we got industrial production coming up in a few moments. Actually going to be quite a busy day, guys, uh, for, for Ecodata. IP, NAHB at the top of the hour. Jim, we've been free of FedSpeak for a few days, but oh, Bostick's coming up at 2, Kashkari tonight at 5.30. Does that endanger whatever rally we uh, put together? Yes, yep. it does, because we've only had these one-day wonders. Uh, I also think, by the way, that, that the tech companies are really struggling with that tour we got to find out back to work. And that's expensive. They're expensive if they're at home. Sacha's talking about it right now. 
Guys, are we going to Santelli with data? Let's get to Rick on IP. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. Yes, our September read on industrial production, a strong number. Expecting up one-tenth of one percent, we end up with up four-tenths of one percent. Now, that is the best only since July. The problem is the flying ointment, August, of course, went negative on us. July was up half of one percent. Now, when we look at utilization rates, we're expecting a number around 80 percent. Much better, 80.3%, 80.3%. And what's interesting about 80.3 is, is that uh, it is one of the highest levels of utilization rates going back to August of 2018, when it was virtually tied at 80.3. Then you have to jump all the way to 08 to find numbers that hover near 80.4. So these are very strong utilization rates, and we all know that there's issues with things like mining we need to pay very close attention to. We'll still have National Association of Home Builders uh, Index. That'll be released at the top of the hour by Diana. Interest rates, well, they're down across the board, although we're starting to see 30-year bonds with some selling pressure pushing their yields up on the session. A squawk on the street will return after a short break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Got more job cuts in the tech sector, as we mentioned earlier. Microsoft confirming it now. It has laid off additional employees this week as the company anticipates some slower sales growth. That comes on top of cuts announced in July. A spokesperson tells CNBC, quote, like all companies, we evaluate our business priorities on a regular basis, make structural adjustments accordingly. We will continue to invest in our business and hire in key growth areas in the year ahead. Axios, Jim, actually said the number was around 1,000, which we didn't get clarity on. I don't think people realize the depth of the decline in uh, the PC cycle. Again, a lot of this stuff is COVID-related, but people got caught short. There was a lot of double ordering. You didn't really understand how many PCs were needed. 
And it sounds like to me when I listen to this that the Windows division is just a disaster. And I know that Sachman, I like that. Uh, but it doesn't matter. They have other horses. Uh, and they have gaming, which is good. They have LinkedIn, which is good. But they have, you know, they have a big corporate business. And then they have Azure. So I, I, I would not sell it on this. I wouldn't because they, they're doing the right thing. I, I think that no one's used to. I was talking to some people in Silicon Valley, and they were like, basically, how do you fire people? It's been a while. Yeah. How do you fire? What, what, what's your suggestion on how to let people go? I mean, do you do a, uh, a soft or you do a hard? Do you, a redux, do you do a reduction in force? David, you know that the people in technology yeah. are not used to having to fire people. No, they're not. Uh, and, you know, this, uh, uh, Jim, I know you've, you've talked about the fact that a number of these companies are reducing their workforces. What I hear more often, though, is simply that they are no longer hiring. And in a sense, it accomplishes the same thing because you same do have thing. some roll off of people. Uh, who, who, you know, choose in a given year to obviously leave and you're not replacing them. But it's not really wholesale, oh, you're gone, as much as it's because it's been continued growth in workforce for so long and that's no longer the case. Perhaps accomplishing David, the same thing. Have, have you heard of, a, of some reports making the rounds that people who work at home are simply far less productive than people who work at, at the office? And so therefore you're saying, come back to the office or sayonara? Are you hearing that? Because I'm getting Absolutely. 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 Yes. Uh, Certain companies feel less emboldened to do that than others. And I think in technology in particular, where uh, they have been more um, open, more lenient, more willing to let people work from wherever they want, it's a bit of a tougher ask. But Jim, yes, I do believe that to be the case. And certainly in certain areas, uh, more so than others. Yeah, Big Carl, I got to tell you, the days when it's like, yeah, I take Monday off, they out there, I, I disagree with David a little bit. I think that they're saying, we are looking at what you're doing. We're getting reports uh, of what you're up to, and we see that you're playing a lot of video games on Fridays. Yep. They, they do make tracking software. They that have can, tracking software. Yep. That, you know, they're watching a lot of, they're watching on Thursday night. They're not working. They're looking at the game. I did notice uh, Solomon on Squawk today said, pre-pandemic, on any given day, about 75% of employees were in office. That number is now 65. It didn't sound like he thought we were going to get back to 75. Well, I don't know. They need to be out there selling. I mean, I remember when I was out there selling, it was like they didn't want to see me. And David, that's when we had pay phones. We had a cell phone. That's true. But I mean, but that was 75% when they had people out there selling. The idea that people are going to be coming into the office, even in financial services on a Friday, probably unlikely. But to the point you guys are making, if you can get them to work, at least you're happy. that battle's right. been we don't lost want to the extent that you're not getting people in five days a week. No way, no how in most businesses. It's just not happening. But David, other you can than, only course, watch. Other than us. I mean, what do they watch? I mean, these people, I am told that they have data, that they're watching Hulu on Fridays. They're not working, David. They're on Netflix. The bear is really good. I'd watch it, Chef. Hey, Chef. Yeah. Chef. Chef, how you doing? Back. <laughs> Corner. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash and we'll count down to the opening bell as the Bulls are looking for seconds here today. Futures continue to stay well above the flat line. We're back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. 
like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get Kramer's Mad Dash as we count down to the opening bell. Okay, so uh, this morning, uh, Joe Wolf, who's a terrific CFO at Change, was on uh, Squawk. And as typical, he is understated, understated Philadelphia, which is very rare. And the, the incredible numbers from MedTech, which is the stuff replacement of different parts, and more importantly from consumer products, which is Neutrogena, which is Tylenol, which is Band-Aid, Avena, is going to allow that, that spin-off, split-off, how we don't, we don't know what they're going to do, it, but I think there won't be any overhang. I think you just get shares to be spectacular, better than all the other of these getting rid of the consumer products, because 5% growth in that business is really great. So every division was, was best. The slowest was in, in U.S. pharma, but made up in international pharma. A very, very strong quarter. They returned a huge amount of capital. I do own a bunch of Apple Trust. And I've got to tell you that this is the kind of, again, this is the kind of thing that Mike Wilson plays in Mike Wilson. Remember, Mike Wilson likes health care. Katie Huberty, with just a very exotic note, also likes health care. And J&J is the one they're going to like because J&J's got the whole mosaic that people want. They have an amazing oncology franchise. So I think the J&J, I don't know what are they saying, it's down here. We just showed it's down. Yeah. On the consumer side, I wonder, you know, the journal does this piece about Procter uh, not cutting price and instead upping their marketing because they're convinced they can hang it, that consumers will pay up okay, for a more expensive. So, right. Uh, so Procter's been, Procter Oil's been challenging. We love dividends. We love great cash flow. Procter's been going, it's been a straight line down from 160 to 120 because people feel that Procter's going to have to break price. So that's a rather remarkable change because break price would just be disastrous. Now, the Procter people I talk to, the raw costs are all coming down. So the tailwinds are coming. They're, they're right now headwinds. This is very similar to what PepsiCo had. People feel that Procter's losing share. I cannot find a country that they're losing share. Uh, they are hurt by the strong dollar. But I, I just have to tell you that these great American companies are delivering. Uh, PepsiCo, great American company. J&J, I think, great American company. I mean, these guys can sell J&J all they want. I think it is best in show. So you'd rather own some of those defensive staples, consumer uh, yeah. products, over, say, semis? Or, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the semis. I mean, look at this PepsiCo. I mean, PepsiCo is at 163. Ramon LaGuardia comes on and basically says, you know, you know that was a 4 to 5% grower. Now it's a 12% grower. Okay, sure, some of it's inflation. Absolutely. You can say a lot of it's inflation. It doesn't matter. They are crushing the numbers. The numbers. J&J crushed the numbers. Uh, the semis are... Uh, the, Biden decided, Biden took numbers down big for the semis. Biden crushed Lamb Research. Biden cut, cut the numbers for AMAT in half. I'm not being uh, facetious here. They decided, listen, you're not selling anything in China. These companies, China was the market. Uh, it's true. Uh, AMD, uh, Deutsche cuts numbers again today. They were at 80, they go to 70. Uh, Morgan Stanley has some high conviction downside ideas. Logitech and Micron. I had Logitech on recently. Uh, they make a lot of the you know, devices. And uh, yeah, I think that they're going to miss. Sanjay Marotra, who's uh, kind enough to come on our show. These are commodity companies. 
and they do not stop cutting them. And Procter and J&J are not commodity companies. They're not. There's the opening bell. And once again, fair amount of green as we're 40 points from 3,800 at the big board. Rubicon, software company focused on waste management and recycling, celebrating a recent listing at the NASDAQ, its developer data platform company, MongoDB. All right, Jim, so uh, taking stake of things here at the open, how much of this is sustained only if yields start softening up? Um, pretty much all of it. Uh, yeah, I think that this is a rally based on sentiment and momentary uh, break in rates going higher. Uh, it's very interesting that on the conference call, J&J, people feel that they're basically uh, talking it down. Uh, I don't know, my talks with J&J is that this is a great opportunity, but right now you're going to walk into a buzzsaw, but it's one of just very few stocks that are down the S&P, and I think it, it's fine. The ones that I'm actually focused on are the, let's go back to Salesforce. Uh, it's radical that there's someone would take one of the great growth stocks of all time, taking a stake. But that's enterprise software. That's the weakest part of the market along with, uh, with Intel and the semiconductors. So I'm looking at tech as just being not great, with the exception I still believe in, I still believe in Meta, which makes me the only person other than maybe Mark's mom. Uh, I don't know if Mark believes. Uh, but David, we are seeing, I think Salesforce is making, the news that you broke is making people rethink to some degree, how much they should sell these enterprise software companies. Because maybe they're not as bad. I still think they're expensive. Uh, but why would they rethink them? Why? Because there's more of an opportunity, perhaps, in capturing margin than is previously thought? I mean, again, to your point, they have been punished. They had typically been amongst the best growers, uh, certainly on the top line, and the best performers in the market of 2020, 21. And then you can look at what happened. Um, well, it's just not been a pretty picture, Jim. And, you know, today, Starboard comes out and says, we think you can do better. I mean, they say a lot of things, well, but basically they say, hey, your peers are not are, are, are doing better than you are, Salesforce. When it comes to delivering uh, on a number of different important metrics, that's at least what their claim is. Well, I think that this is a catalyst. I mean, I think people just kind of felt that all these companies are run kind of family based and they can do what they want. And then suddenly Starboard comes in. And you know, Starboard is not going to be Elliott. It's not going to be Scorched Earth. But it makes people feel like, you know what, maybe there is some value. See, David, I think that Starboard, in the end, buys stocks that they feel are valuable. And I think a lot of people felt there's no value to anything involving enterprise software or the software that, that, we're all, you know, that they brought public in the last couple of years. That's what I meant, that Starboard is uniquely very good at finding something that is more that is cheaper than we think. And this is when you speak that first of all it's a great scoop. I shouldn't I should yep. have said that first, but I do no, like no, very no. much to but, see that someone who actually understands value sees it in Salesforce. Yeah. Because everyone else has been valuing it and saying, that's, listen, I don't know, it's time sales. I don't, I don't forget it. And this is nice. That's a, no, it's a good point. That's a good point, Jim. And I think an important point, and obviously we're seeing the performance today in part reflected not just in the broader rally that we're having in the marketplace right now, but in part because of, uh, of Starboard's uh, position that has been uh, divulged here. Um, we'll see what happens over time. It is a very large position. Yes, we've seen success in Starboard in certain technology companies. Marvell comes to mind, any number of others mentioned Box earlier. But those market caps are 
a small percentage of what they're dealing with here at Salesforce. Um, just kind of interesting that they have, you know, obviously expanded their aperture in terms of what they're willing to go after, so to speak. But David, any mention of Brett Taylor and Mark Benioff, co-CEOs, feeling that something's not right about that? Any mention of the fact no. that uh, Taylor... Good. Okay, because I don't think that there's been any let up because Taylor is obviously involved with, with Twitter. That would be uh, no. I mean, they point out, shame. Jim. They point out that they that the company refreshed its management team has been increasingly focused on improving the company's growth and profitability. So they do point out that say they're excited about that 50 billion revenue target in 50 uh, in fiscal year 26, right. and they say comes a lot of opportunities along with that for operational excellence and a lot of opportunities to drive operating margin. These were all quotes, by the way, from Brett Taylor. So, uh, yeah, they're excited about that. All right, that's great. I, I do think that the buyback was a very good sign that Mark felt, that Benioff felt that the stock itself had gotten too cheap. But, David, I, here's what I'm saying. This is verification that these companies are of some sort of vast wasteland that can go down 40, 50 percent and never become attractive. Never. And that's what right. I think has been happening. This is just the absolute worst group other than the semis. David, no one's taken stakes in semis that I know of yet. No, no, you're right. It's, uh, it can be a tough battle to wage. And, you know, you can be the greatest activist in the world, but if you make the wrong stock pick, it doesn't really matter, does it? We've made that point many times. It really all starts with making the right choice at the right time. And then but, having those tools that you may use to sort of advance an agenda perhaps, if, if, if required. Um, well, guys, uh, you know, speaking of groups, what? though, uh, the banking group is obviously having another strong day. Jim, you've been talking a lot about it. Goldman Sachs, which we went over group. some of the numbers there, up 4.5% this morning. And uh, to be fair, down a lot less than the S&P. We're talking about, you know, only a 16% now decline for Goldman versus 21% for the S&P. So Real you would value. be better off Look. having been in Goldman. Look, uh, yeah, my chapter trust owns Morgan Stanley. I, I had egg all over my face the other day. Now it turns out it's, it's Taylor Egg and Ham, and it tastes good. I mean, the stock's up three bucks. It was up three bucks yesterday. Morgan Stanley's not. I felt that Morgan Stanley was, it, it really wasn't nearly as bad as people said. But I keep coming back to the wonders of Wells. That this is, this is Wells' time. The stock was much, much higher in uh, 2018. And then uh, the dean of the group, Brian Winnian, delivering that amazing number. David, dean of the group, you're supposed to chide me on that. Oh, I'm supposed you know to chime in me? there? Yeah, well, I got a lot chime. going on here, man. Chime, you know? not chime, chime. I got, I, got a, ch- I got a lot going on. A lot, a lot. Oh, um, he's jammed. In fact, oh, you know I'm what? Jay, I didn't know you were jammed. I'm jammed. I thought you were, you know. I'm jammed. I'm a little jammed, too. Let me just take this. Let me, oh, wow. I'll come back to you on this. I'm jammed it, over here. It is the uh, best uh, two-day good. game yeah. for the NASDAQ since March. Uh, March 15th and 16th. Well, but this is important because that's the Mike Wilson theory. Mike Wilson said that these groups are... You know, I never used to talk about Mike Wilson. I is a smart guy. But Mike Wilson predicted exactly what's happening. And I think that's rather remarkable, and he deserves great credit for that. Yeah. Well, today it's, uh, it's Hartnett, actually, over at B of A and the fund manager yes, survey, yes. Jim. Uh, the positioning... Cash levels, sentiment, screams, policy, investor market capitulation. Uh, underweight is a three standard deviation, and it feeds their argument that you're going to see a bear rally in the first half of next year if you get rate cuts and the 10 year doesn't go above four. Well, I mean, you know, remember, Wilson David is saying 
you can get your run here. And then when we look at all the earnings, we are going to be disappointed. And we're going to realize next year, probably a down year in earnings. Uh, so I think this is one of those, David, uh, cats away, mice play. Uh, yeah. But the yeah. but the play is 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 huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, you know, as you know, I am here at this 13D Monitor Conference. We're going to be talking to Jeff Smith later. Uh, I got another story for you uh, this morning. I want to do it as a favor report. Uh, it kind of propitious timing given I'm here and we're talking activism, although, frankly, this has been something I've been working on for a bit of time. But we got a letter coming out this morning from uh, Dan Loeb's Third Point, um, obviously one of the more storied uh, activists through many of the years. And they're uh, revealing a new stake in Colgate. Uh, and I think it's worthy oh of reporting. My understanding Colgate. is that that is, in fact, um, a billion dollar, roughly, let's call it stake. Uh, also have been working in collaboration with another hedge fund, uh, Tom's Capital Investment Management, on the work that they've done here on Colgate. Now, um, the letter itself focuses on a couple of different areas. But one is Hills, which we've talked about a number of times uh, over time. And, of course, Jim has as well. The pet food business, right? Uh, you know, primarily distributes through uh, specialty and veterinarian channels. Uh, Hills Science Diet, Hills Prescription Diet are some of their key products. It's been growing sales organically at about 11 to 12 percent over the last seven year, uh, several years, uh, mid to high 20s operating margins, and as much as 20 percent of Colgate sales and profits for this year. They say, quote, there's a meaningful hidden value in the company's Hills pet nutrition business, which we believe would command a premium multiple if separated from Colgate's consumer assets. Now, that doesn't mean that they're asking the company to do that. Uh, you know, uh, I'm aware previously of, uh, of, of some conversation that has taken place between shareholders and management and the board in terms of, would you consider this? Um, what I have heard is that the company's not interested in splitting uh, itself, at least not at this point. But again, Loeb, in part taking this, uh, this position with the idea being that, hey, if it were to be split, we think uh, it would have a lot higher value. In fact, they talk about it having as much as a $20 uh, billion dollar value on calendar 23 numbers saying they believe as a standalone business, Hills could deliver even faster growth and better margins and would command what they call a premium multiple of 25 to 30 times earnings per share uh, for an aggregate value, again, uh, of approaching 20 billion on those on those numbers. Now, uh, the uh, the letter, of course, which will be going out as well to uh, to fund holders at third point also goes on to uh, talk about uh, Colgate's other assets namely oral care. Um, I think there's been some frustration on the part of shareholders that they've been losing market share in uh, core toothpaste, um, that perhaps uh, some initiatives they've made at Colgate have not resulted uh, as much in improved performance, uh, and that perhaps the allocation of capital and oral care has not been as strong as would have been liked. Again, that's sort of relying on some conversations I've had over time with some uh, investors in the company. But when it comes to that and the opportunity there, I would point to the end of a letter here, which uh, basically says the following. Um, where is that? Let me get that. It says uh, that um, large transactions, and we all know this, although the board is fairly long tenured, not known for making bold moves, we're confident that it will act uh, in the best interest of shareholders if it becomes part of the current M&A minuet. Isn't that nice? A little dance there. Uh, in consumer health. And, you know, yeah, Minuet. We've been talking, Jim, of course, about the spinoff of Halion, remember, from, uh, from uh, Glaxo and Pfizer. Disaster. Uh, the fact Disaster. that there was interest in Unilever in buying that business. 
which they were not interested in. But again, uh, while it doesn't appear uh, that the activist here is making an approach that says we want this and this and this, uh, Third Point is at least uh, putting out there the idea for why it has value in its eyes, namely the Hills, uh, pet food business, coupled with the idea that were you ever to get a split or were you to ever have Colgate actually reach out and have a board that perhaps was interested in making bold moves, uh, that there might be interest in consolidation among some of these other players, given its strong place uh, in toothpaste at the very least, although frankly some of the adjacencies, whether it be, oh, I don't know, toothbrushes, mouthwash, and other areas, perhaps it has not had uh, success in gaining market share in the way that they would want it to. Uh, I will point out, by the way, that Loeb also makes the point that the business is defensive, has significant pricing power in inflationary conditions, and by the way, thinks that this is the correct time uh, to potentially consider uh, or take this kind of a position, given that a number of supply chain disruptions are reversing inflationary uh, uh, pressures that have weighed on margins, are starting to reverse as well, and there have been stepped-up investments in demand generation and product innovation. So you can see Colgate shares moving up a bit on this, uh, but we'll keep an eye on it. You know, Jim, the number of bankers, of others who've suggested that Colgate should be a takeover target, it's endless. It's never resulted yeah. in anything. Right. Now, Colgate Cloister Company never really can get close to them. Other pet food, Hills is doing very well. Uh, it's, very, it's very good. But the fact is, General Mills, much better in pet food. When they went higher end, was a surprise. They paid a little too much, but it turned out to be fantastic. Uh, I think that, that Smucker is doing much, much better in pet food. So I, I actually think Loeb's absolutely right that the best pet food of Hills is doing the worst of those three. So I think that's important. Fresh pet may be for sale. That's expensive. Uh, but, David, Colgate has always done its own thing. And it's been terrific in international. Unilever then one-time challenge him, Proctor challenge him. But, but you're right, David. We never Colgate's a black box, and uh, yep. I've tr- I've tried to crack it so many times, and they're just not interested. They just don't desire no. any ability. They don't want to tell their story. They just don't. Nope. And you know, even under Ruben Mark and current management, listen. Uh, you know, the window for uh, for the for the board is a ways away. This is certainly something that should be on people's radar. But to your point, a lot of people have taken a shot at it, or at least the idea that hey, this is a company that should participate in the consolidation in this area, uh, and it hasn't happened. A number, as I pointed out, have also said maybe you'd be better off splitting the two companies. We all know that shrink to grow with Hills, obviously the much higher grower, grow. getting a higher multiple to try to create some value. They have not been interested in that as well. So um, it's just not a name we've mentioned that often, but it's still, you know, we're still talking about a pretty significant, uh, significant uh, company. And again, um, you know, I'm, uh, there, I'm sure there have been conversations uh, and at a $62 billion market cap, we'll keep an eye on it going up today, along, of course, Carl, with the broader market as well, which we see significant advances in so they, far. They do have a higher multiple than General Mills, and yet General Mills is operating at a higher mm-hmm. level. General Mills, uh, the, this uh, Jeff Harmoning, he got a lot of heat when he bought Blue Buff. But, Carl, it's working, it's working big. Pet food is a great business, and I've not heard Colgate doing anything fast enough in pet food. Yeah. Uh, we've been watching Petco and Chewy uh, last couple of weeks. Yes. So 37.50 or so, uh, Dow.
currently on pace for the best month since last November. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. Great two-day run here. Um, we uh, 10 to 1, again, advancing to declining stocks. We had a similar strong open before. And what's important is the risk-on stuff. I always put up this to see how the market's anticipating the day is going to go. What's risk-on? Transportation stocks, uh, semiconductor stocks are outperforming. Arc Innovation, classic risk on, and metals and mining stocks uh, all doing a little bit better today. And a lot of this, in addition to what's going on in the UK, a lot of this is because earnings generally are not getting slashed, particularly for the fourth quarter, which is what everybody's caring about. So here's the big four reporting today. All of them beat the earnings expectations. Uh, we saw Lockheed affirm the full year guidance. Johnson & Johnson narrowed the full year guidance. But remember, everyone was expecting things to get cut dramatically. So just what they did is basically good enough for the markets. This, by the way, is exactly what happened in the second quarter of last year. Exactly three months ago in the middle of July, we were expecting an earnings apocalypse uh, and the earnings did not fall apart. They were lowered. It's right at that point there, that circle. And you see that rally there from the middle of July to the middle of August, the S&P 500 rallied 500 points. That's about a 13% rally. And the reason it rallied is because the earnings apocalypse everyone was anticipating didn't actually happen. We lowered the earnings numbers, but they didn't slash them dramatically. And we're following this pattern again. Who knows if we'll ultimately play out. So here's where we are right now. And it's very early in the earnings season. We've only got 45 companies reporting. But the street was expecting the fourth quarter in 2023 earnings to be cut dramatically. What we've seen so far is a control traction in earnings, but not a collapse. So in a typical earnings recession, earnings will decline 10 to 20 percent. 2023 estimates still have earnings up 7 percent. So lower, this is lower than it was a few months ago. It is not any kind of dramatic slash. Finally, I just want to say something about Mobileye. Uh, I cover IPOs. It has been a terrible year again. Uh, Mobileye numbers on the surface don't look very good. They're going to float 41 million shares at 18 to 20. So you're dealing with roughly $800 million. What's strange about this, in addition to the low valuation, is the float's only 5%. Typical floats are 10 to 15% in tech deals these days. Used to be 20%. So that's a very, very low float. This puts the valuation at roughly $16 billion. I saw valuations at $50 billion in December. Those of you who can remember, in 2021, Intel bought this for about $16 billion. It was 15 point something billion dollars. So they essentially, Carl, bought this for what it was, uh, what they bought it for four years ago. But remember, this is a carve out. We saw this earlier this year. We saw this with Bausch and Loam. We saw this with Corp, Corbridge. So these carve outs, there's a lot of impetus to get them out there, regardless of the cost, because you have people who are in the company that need the liquidity overall. So obviously a bit lower than people were anticipating for a number, but no surprise, they've got to get the deal done. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank very you. disappointing that that's all they're going to get for a division that they were very excited about. Still a when, fifth when of their uh, overall market cap. Right. But I mean, this was kind of the hope, the hope that this thing would be worth so much that you would go buy Intel off it. That's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, clearly not going to be 50 for sure. No. As we go to break, take a look at the bond report. Uh, bonds really weren't that moved by the beat in industrial production. Got the two year pretty much around 441. 10 years still sub four. You got oil below 84 today. Yeah. Watch out for Bostic at two o'clock, who's been in the news last few days. We'll be right back. 
S&P's up almost 70 points here. Some of the gainers include the cruise lines. Uh, Carnival's going to be at the top of the list. They did announce another uh, high-yield debt offer today, but followed by Norwegian and Royal Caribbean. Salesforce in there, too, as we've been talking about for much of the past half hour. We'll take a short break. Be back in a moment. It's time for Jim and stop trading. How much this change all over the map? Back to almost even. Okay, so this morning, Wedbush comes out and does a real, just, I would say, a, a very strong sell, but they don't make it a sell. Downgrade Carvana to neutral. The engine is sputtering. At the same time, Morgan Stanley comes out and says auto delinquencies rose in September. So you've got a double-barreled attack on Carvana, and yet it is up, and I don't think it'll be up by the end of the day. Yeah, Jonas has been all over the delinquency watch well, for a long time. I, I know, but September was a bad month. And that's surprising given the fact that uh, the banks have all said, don't, don't worry. Uh, but that's auto, auto is a particular niche business now. Not everybody's in that anymore. I continue to love the banks. Yeah. Not back your way one bit. How about I do tonight? not like enterprise software. You'll have Netflix. Um, no, I, I have Vici. Well, I have Netflix earnings. Right. Yeah, I'll be ready. Uh, but Vici, I look for... Periodically, I just look for these companies where people can just say, you know what, Jim, I want to make a little money. I don't want to blow my head off. This thing has had a 5% yield. It's been amazing since Goldman Sachs bought it public a couple years ago. It's a REIT. I like REITs. I think a lot of our individual viewers are saying, listen, I'll take a little more risk, more than 4.5. I typically say don't. 45 really fabulous. But I do like some REITs now and then. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, that's one Austin hour down. Show. I mean, we got a party now. Yeah, who <laughs> yes. knows? Welcome to your stock exchange. Hi, everybody. But uh, David broke two great stories. Yes. He, broke, he broke the Salesforce and he broke the Colgate. And the Colgate. And uh, that's just great reporting. We got more from him. His exclusive with uh, Starbird later on today from uh, 13D. Jeff Smith will be with him. We'll talk more about that as the Dow's hanging on to 37. Back in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.